So there, is, there are two aspects of our spiritual lives. There is the doing side, and there is the being side. And I want you to think in those terms today. There is the doing, the things that we do as an expression of our uh, spiritual life. But there is also something that is deeper than that. There is the being side. There is something inside of us. There is a spiritual life that is really, really quite honestly, not so much about what we do, but about the relationship that we have with God. So I want you to think in these terms that our spiritual lives uh, have both a doing component and a being component. Now, this morning we're in Zechariah chapter 7. And this becomes, this, this concept begins to emerge from those, vo- those verses as we see that God had called uh, His people to do something. And if you've been here, then you know that the context, historical context of Zechariah is that God had called them to rebuild the temple. That was something God gave them to do. But what we discover today is that for our lives to be pleasing to God, it can't just be about the doing. There has to be a corresponding being. It's not enough just to do. There's something much deeper. I want us to look... Uh, this morning in those 14 verses, and I want to read those, and then we're going to uh, cover those in sections. This is Zechariah chapter 7, and it says, Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, Kislev. When the people sent Sherezer, and Regum, Melech, and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priest, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, during those seventy years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets, when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous in the south, and the lowland were inhabited. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless. 
the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed, and they would not hear, so they called out, and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land desolate. Um, notice in verse 1, uh, the time for this, and this just helps us kind of put this in perspective. It says that this is the fourth year of King Darius, uh, and it is in the ninth month. Um, that Let me just tell you what that means. <laughs> they Originally, Zechariah and Haggai began to speak in the year 520. Rebuild the temple. They're going to finish that four years later, later in 516. This, the fourth year of King Darius is the year 518. It's, it's right in the middle of the reconstruction of the temple. They're, in the mid, they're kind of probably a good ways uh, towards completing it, but they're about halfway finished. Uh, verses 2 and 3 tell us that there were some people who came and they asked the priest and the prophets, they had a question for them. And this becomes kind of the... The, the springboard for what God's going to say. Notice they have a question. It says, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as, as I have done for so many years? Let me tell you what that's about. Um, Seventy years prior, in the fifth month, I think it was the seventh day of that month, that was the day that the Babylonians breached the walls of Jerusalem and they came in and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And all those people were taken into exile. And so to uh, set aside that day as a day of mourning and fasting, the people had fasted in the fifth month for all those, those 70 years. Um... And so, the question now, and then quite honestly, this is a valid question. If the temple is now rebuilt, should we continue to fast as a way of mourning and grieving the destruction of the temple? You kind of get it? This is a legitimate Thing. I, we have national holidays, I guess. Uh, we've just passed uh, September 11th. It's a day that we remember great tragedy in America. Uh, we have other holidays like the Jul July 4th that we celebrate our independence as a nation. And so we have these kinds of days. And so this is apparently what happened. When the uh, temple was destroyed, and as I remember, it's the fifth month, the seventh day. You can look back and... Second Chronicles or Second Kings, and it'll tell you. Uh, 
But probably on that first year, they said, we need to set aside that day as a day of fasting and mourning for what happened on that day. And so for 70 years, they've done that. But here they come. And all of a sudden, the temple is being rebuilt. And this, this is a valid question. Should we continue to have a national day of fasting and weeping before God if the temple has been uh, rebuilt? And here's what I'm going to say. From verses 4 to 14, Zechariah, or really God, never answers that question. You kind of read it and you go, the guys at the end, it's like, but we just need to know, do we keep fasting on this day or not? You know? But God, Zechariah, never says, yes, you ought to keep doing it, or no, you shouldn't keep doing it. And we have to ask the question, why? Why is it? What is it that God was saying to the prophet? It's kind of interesting to me that uh, these men come to Jerusalem and it says that they spoke to the priest who were conducting the sacrificial system in the temple. And obviously the temple's still being built, but they're obviously still practicing the sacrifices. They're doing the sacrifices. Those have been reinstated. But it says they asked the priest and the prophet, what should we do? Uh, when we come to verse 4, it doesn't say that the priest said, hey, you ought to do this. But invariably, God speaks through the prophet. So starting in verse 4, God sends a word. But the interesting thing is if you read it, God never answers their question directly. And the question is, why? And this is the reason why. Because their very question exposed a deeper issue that God wanted to address. By God not answering, God was really saying, you know what? It's not about the fasting. Think about this with me. Uh, what was it that their question exposed? Um, and I think we're going to look at that. I want to look at kind of three responses or three things that I want to say and I'm going to break down these verses in basically three to four verses, and we're going to look at verses four through seven for just a moment, eight, nine, and ten in the second section, and then 11 through 14 in another section. What we glean from that is that God was not pleased with what they were doing. There was a deeper issue that God wanted to address. And the question is, if they were doing the right thing, rebuilding the temple and fasting, why was it that that didn't please God? And I think in each one of those three sections, there's, there's an answer. There's a perspective that God gives to address that deeper issue. But for us today, before we jump into that, Understand 
uh, what I said earlier is, is that there is a doing side of our spiritual lives and there is a being side. And uh, to be pleasing to God Both of those have to be where they need to be. Uh, is it possible for us today to be doing at least some of the right thing and God is not pleased with that? Is it possible to be on the being side? And I don't know if this is actually possible, but... Can you be who you need to be in your inner person, in your spiritual life, but not have the corresponding doing? And would that be pleasing to God? I want you to think as we pass through these verses about the doing and the being. And, it's, and why is it that, at least in their occasion, their doing the right thing was not pleasing to God? I want us to look first at verses 4 through 7. 4 through 7. <laughs> and I think what 4 through 7 answers gives one answer from God. And what it teaches us is that we can be doing the right thing and not pleasing to God when, when we are doing the right thing for the wrong reason. You got to get this. We can be doing the right thing, but it not be pleasing to God when we are doing the right thing for the wrong reason. It's about motivation. Uh, and so he says, let's just read those again. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, who is the prophet, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priest, kind of interesting to me that it's like the priest didn't stand up and answer they didn't have an answer from god the prophet said god says you prophet speak to everyone including the priest when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month oh let me call ah uh, seventh month oh, we don't have time to get bogged down in this but it was another national holiday is all i'm going to say it commemorated when their last governor was killed in uh the old land. Okay, it happened in the seventh month. So it's not just that they fasted in the fifth month to commemorate the destruction of the temple in, in Jerusalem, but they had another month. They were fasting to mourn their last political leader who had ruled over them as a, a governor appointed by the Babylonians. When you fasted and mourned, verse 5, in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? And God doubles down and repeats it for me. Verse 6, when you eat and drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? The key phrase is, for me, for yourselves. What does God identify? God identifies that you are doing the right thing, but you're not doing it for the right reason. You are not doing it for me, you are doing it for you. Is it possible to do the right thing and be serving a self-centered uh, need in your own life 
And obviously, when God brings down his perspective on their life, what God is saying through the prophet is, you did it for yourselves, you didn't do it for me. And I think I know why God said that. I thought about that. How is it that when you were fasting, you did it for yourselves and you didn't do it for God? Uh, and I realized, and it really it emanates from their question, should we still fast when the temple is rebuilt? And God, God's going... No, you just expose your motivation while, while you're fasting. Why were they fasting? They were fasting over the destruction of the temple, which was the consequence of their sin. Get this. Why were they weeping? Why were they fasting? Because the temple had been destroyed. Now that the temple's going to be rebuilt, should we still fast? God said, no, yo, you, just, you just showed your hand of why you were doing it. You were fasting, you were mourning... Because of the consequence of your sin, get it, not the cause of your sin. When you mourn over the consequences of your sin, you're doing it from a self-centered perspective. Do you get it? Woe is me. <laughs> Look what's happened to me. This great tragedy. And God's saying, no. You should have been fasting. Not because of the consequence of your sin, but because of the cause of your sin. That would have been God-centered. If on that first anniversary you had, you had said, God, we were so unfaithful to that covenant that you had shown for us. And now, yes, we do suffer from the, the discipline of God and what he has done in destroying Jerusalem, the temple, and taking us into exile. But God, our hearts, what are our hearts broken for? They are broken, God, that we were unfaithful to the covenant. We were not who we needed to be. And God, we, we, we bow and we weep and we mourn and we fast because God, our hearts were not in the right place. God said, would have said, oh, you did that for me. Do you understand? I believe they were doing the right thing for the wrong reason. The wrong reason was they were broken over the consequence of their sin when they should have been broken over the cause of their sin, which was hearts that had drifted away from God. Uh, in verses 8 through 10, I believe we get a different perspective. How is it that you could do the right thing and not be pleasing to God? Well, I think he first says that you could be doing it the right thing for the wrong reason. And if the doing is not matched by the corresponding being, then it's not pleasing to God. But in verses 8 through 10, I believe there's a different perspective. And it is possible to be doing the right thing, but that not be pleasing to God when we are using doing the right thing to excuse other things. When we are using doing one right thing to excuse other 
things. So he says in verses 8 through 10, Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion. Everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of, your, let, let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. In, in verse 9, when God speaks through Zechariah and he says, execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, I cannot state this strongly enough. When you come to those three words, justice, mercy, and compassion, these words are like on the Mount Rushmore of the Old Testament of the greatest attributes of God and what in turn we are to demonstrate in our own lives. I, it... it I cannot, I cannot state it strong enough. The Old Testament sense of these three words, justice, mercy, and compassion. In fact, our English words cannot even capture the sense of those. And I don't have time this morning uh, to delve into the meanings of those. But if you just know that these are like the Mount Rushmore of characteristics, God was a God of justice, of mercy, and compassion. And if you reflect the character of God as one of the people of God, your life will more than anything else demonstrate justice, mercy, and compassion. And this is said other times in the prophets. I think of the classic verse in Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, there's that word. To love mercy, there's that word. It doesn't use compassion, but it says, and to walk humbly with your God. Um, these are huge. They are what Jesus described as the weightier matters of the law. Jesus actually speaks to this uh, directly when he's speaking to the Pharisees and in Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and of anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. And he says, faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. What God indicts the people in Zechariah's day is, you haven't done the weightier matters of the law. And I, I got to think about that. It's like, how, how do we, when there is something that glaring, that God says, no, the big things you, 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 you're not doing. Well, how do we rationalize that in our mind? And what I came up with, and I'm just thinking Daryl Smith's psychology here, it's like, but God, I'm doing this. When we use doing the right thing in one area of our life to excuse not doing other things in our lives. What did the people of Zacharias say? What could they say? God, we're rebuilding the temple. We're fasting in the fifth and seventh month. God, we are doing these things. 
God says, no, that's not pleasing to me. Why? Because you've excused yourself from the weightier matters of the law. That's what Jesus threw the Pharisees under the bus about. I mean, you just want a a dose of some hard-hitting preaching, just go to Matthew 23 and, man, it's, it's, it's hard. What Jesus says to the Pharisees, what was Jesus saying? You do all these things, but you use that as an excuse to not do these other things. And so you see, sometimes doing the right thing is not pleasing to God because we use that very thing to excuse other things. Other areas of disobedience. Verses 11 through 14, we come to a third uh, thought. How is it possible to be doing the right thing, but that thing not be pleasing to God? And in verses 11 through 14, I think we come maybe with a little bit different perspective. And it would be this, that we can be doing the right thing and it not be pleasing to God when we are doing the right, when, when doing the right thing becomes a distraction from the real issue. Doing the right thing becomes a distraction from the real issue. Sometimes, in the midst of our doing, we do certain things, but excuse us not doing other things because we're doing this one good thing. But sometimes, when we are doing the right thing, it becomes a cover for something that's much deeper in our life. There's a deeper issue in our being, is what I, meant, what I wanted to get at. Sometimes it's, there's inconsistency in the doing, and the one doing doesn't give us an excuse for not doing the other thing, but sometimes our, our doing is, is not pleasing to God because there is something deeper in our being. And Jesus, I'm sorry, Zechariah, uh, in verses 11 through 14, he talks about them. And he's thinking back 70 years plus to his forefathers. And really what he says in 11 through 14 is you, you need to learn the lesson of your fathers. And notice what he says in verse 11 and 12 particularly. But they, and he's actually going back to something he started in verse 7 when he talks about Uh, your forefathers and the former prophets. But he says, but they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders. I I thought that was kind of interesting. (laughs) Whatever. I think when you shrug your shoulders, you say whatever. Whatever. Kind of like, "Mm." okay. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know if that has any biblical Hebrew bearing. I may have completely misrepresented that phrase, and so we're going to skip past it. I don't, know what, I don't really know what it means to shrug your shoulders unless it's what I just said. But they refused to heed, shrug their shoulders, but here it is, and stopped their ears so that they could not hear 
Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. What was it? He said, they stopped up their ears. Don't want to hear. And their heart became like flint, like stone. Their heart became hard to receive the message. And they, they experienced the discipline of God. Zechariah is saying, you people act like when you get the temple rebuilt, everything's going to be okay. Right? Hmm. The temple got destroyed 70 years later. Oh, look! We rebuilt the temple. God, we're all square, right? Everything is good because that which was destroyed is now rebuilt, right? And God sends the word through the prophet and says, no. It's not really about the doing. It's not about the temple. It's about a deeper issue with you and your forefathers. Why did the temple get destroyed? Because their hearts were unfaithful to God. And the temple was just the outward manifestation of the discipline of God. It was the consequence of their sin. It was not the cause of their sin. And so now, by your very question, it's like, well, God, do we still fast when the temple is rebuilt? We're all good, right? No. He's saying you missed the point of your forefathers. It's not about the temple. It's about your, it's not about the doing, it's about the being. You see, the, the rebuilding of the temple had to be uh, accompanied by a renewal of the covenant relationship with God. Do you get it? Oh, you can rebuild the temple, but if your hearts are not where they need to be, then all you can anticipate 70 years later is for eventually the discipline of God to come to you also. The doing, the rebuilding of the temple, the fasting, must be accompanied by the being in the proper covenant relationship with God. But if you're... Ears are closed, and your hearts are hard. You're going to end up right where your forefathers did. It's not about the temple. It's about your spiritual relationship with God. I got to thinking before God destroyed the temple on the fifth month, on the seventh day, and... 586. Do you know what they were doing the years before that? The temple was fully operational. Get it? I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I don't know why. Daryl laughs at inappropriate times.
doesn't exactly say this, but it's at least implied. Before God destroyed the temple, your forefathers were sacrificing every day in the temple. But it wasn't pleasing to God because their hearts were not in the covenant relationship with God they needed to be. So if you think just to be re rebuilding the temple gets you back, you don't understand. You see, so sometimes our doing the right thing is not pleasing to God because doing the right thing becomes a distraction from the real issue. The prophet was saying, you've got to think about what the lesson was for your fathers. It was about the heart issue, not about the outward issue of the temple. It's not about the fasting. It's about where your motivation, where your heart is. And you can be doing the right things, but if your being is not where it needs to be, then it doesn't matter. If you're fasting, but you're doing it for yourself, it doesn't, it doesn't please God. If you rebuild the temple, but you're not faithful to the covenant, that that temple is an outward expression of, it doesn't matter. And someday the discipline of God will come and will tear down that temple, which is the reality today. The temple they rebuilt eventually was destroyed and has not been rebuilt since 70 A.D. You know why? 70 A.D. Because God sent the promised Messiah that the book of Zechariah speaks so much about. John says it this way, that he came into his own and his own received him not. And when the Jews rejected the one and only, the handwriting was on the wall. And it took 40 more years. But the discipline of God came. And the temple was destroyed and there is no more sacrifice. Because their being did not match correspond to their doing. Rebuilding the temple doesn't fix everything. With the rebuilding of the temple, there must be spiritual renewal. For us today, the truth is that our spiritual work must be accompanied by the right spiritual life. The doing must be matched by the being. It's the only way it will be pleasing to God. Amen? Amen. Um, I'm going to lead us in prayer and then Brother Shane's going to come and lead us in a song of as our response to God, the altar is open if you'd like to come. After this song, Byron and Will and I will be at the front if you'd like to visit with us about your own relationship with Christ. Uh, if you stand with me as I pray this morning. Father, today we, we acknowledge you as the holy God. God that not only sees our actions but Father, you can peer into the motivations of our heart. 
And so, Father, today we pray that you would not only set our feet on the right path of doing the right things, but, Father, really that first and foremost you would set our hearts on loving you uh, more than anything else, to be faithful to the covenant that you established with us through your Son. And, Father, then when our being, our spiritual lives are to the place where they need to be, then, Father, would you do your work uh, through us, whatever it is that you call us to do. And so, Father, we, we thank you for the way that you speak for our own good and our own edification and pray that your word would do its work today. And Father, we trust this to you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.